This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Talking TV is brought to you by pop-up post-production firm The Finish Line. Dealing with everything from consulting to full post and delivery, they've worked on first dates, GPs behind closed doors, and the island with bare grills, to name just a few. Hello and welcome, I'm Peter White. This week, we look at BBC Studios, ahead of the production division becoming a fully commercialised unit in April. And we discuss Danny Cohen's plans to fund a batch of super dramas with BBC Worldwide and Lookout Point. We also talk Pointless, as a remarkable television show airs its 1,000th episode this week. That's all coming up on Talking TV. Joining me in the studio is broadcast senior reporter Hannah Ganajay-Stewart. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. We're Glad just to be back on the pod. Lovely to have you. Just done our first issue back for the year. How was that? It, it was marvellous, yeah. You know, easy, seamless. Seamless, seamless sl- slide back into the news agenda. Trying to figure out what's going on in this business while most of the TV execs are still on the on the boats and beaches yeah, of Barbados. And, yeah, exactly, in their hammocks somewhere. Uh, so first up, uh, Danny Cohen's Access Entertainment will fund a slew of super high-end British dramas after striking a deal with BBC Worldwide and Lookout Point. The media investment firm, which is owned by billionaire Warner music owner Len Blavatnik, will greenlight projects from UK writers and production firms ahead of scoring a commission with British broadcasters. Uh, so this is just the, the, the latest in an example of, of peak drama, Hannah. Um, we're seeing more and more high-end drama on television. This just seems like they're gonna, we're going to have even more. It does sound like it, doesn't it? It sounds like there's a bottomless pit as well of cash there, so... Good news for Lookout Point. I guess nice bi- deal. Billionaire Len Blavatnik is not uh, short-changed. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot easier, isn't it, to have no concern about sort of it having been piloted or whatever or any testing if you've got a millionaire backer behind you with wads of cash to invest. So Absolutely. And they're talking about, uh, you know, projects on the scale of, of War and Peace and, and The Night Manager. Um, so it does seem that, you know, they're really aiming for this sort of A-list approach. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to secure massive talent. I mean, the thing is, it's a sort of exponential thing, the drama world at the moment isn't it it seems to be bigger and badder and more and more glossy the more money you can plow into it the better i don't know how it's going to feel for other drama indies without that kind of backing i don't know what do you think about kind of the rest of the players in the market whilst these kind of deals are being drawn up yeah it'll be really interesting to see whether you know how who who they get i guess the the writers and producers and directors that they manage to to get through this i also wonder how the uh, the broadcasters are going to feel you know being given the opportunity to to buy a show after it's already been made doesn't necessarily strike me as uh, something that all broadcasters are going to be comfortable with. Yeah, not having that direct commissioning sort of relationship, so it's more of an acquisitions arrangement. But, I mean, Danny Cohen's always been, uh, well, for a good couple of years now at least, been talking about the sort of capacity in the global market. And this is something that when he was at the BBC, he talked about frequently about kind of getting into that market, freeing it up and, you know, creating relationships between the UK and the US in this way. So I suppose this is the culmination of a long-held ambition. And even if there's no uh, commissioners in the early stage, I guess a former director of television at the BBC, Cohen, and former BBC Wales drama boss, Faith Penhale, uh, who works with Simon Vaughan at Lookout Point, as well as BBC Worldwide, is probably not... uh, They've probably seen a few good dramas and see what they they need. Exactly. And they've got, you know, uh, the BBC's an obvious buyer for this kind of content anyway isn't it and interesting in a way I mean the BBC has ring fenced its drama budget to sort of ensure it can still get hold of this stuff so BBC Worldwide having this deal and it being in you know having Danny and Faith and people that you know they all know um, doing making these kind of shows and putting this kind of money behind it I guess is can only be helpful for them. The bubble shows no sign of, uh, of bursting anytime soon. No. Okay next up 
A clearer picture of the plan for BBC Studios has emerged after the BBC Trust published its assessment of the corporation's proposals just before Christmas. Uh, the BBC's governing body said it was satisfied that proposals for the Strictly Come Dancing production unit meet the corporation's commercial criteria and gave the £400 million division unit the go-ahead to commercialise. Um, interesting, they, they put out this report just before Christmas, Hannah, didn't they? So I guess uh, it was a little Christmas present for, uh, for the people who work at BBC Studios and Mark Yeah, Lindsay. Yeah, congratulations, guys. We're going into the big wide world. Here we go. I think anyone that read the report, and frankly, I don't expect many of you out there to have done it. It was fairly long um, and fairly regulatory. It really sort of felt a little bit like it was justifying a pre-made decision in some ways. I don't think anyone ever expected for one moment that the trust was going to turn around at this point and say, oh, bad news, guys, you know, two years down the line and we're not actually going to allow you to commercialise. And it definitely had that tone about it, I would say. But, you know, the trust has kind of done its bit now. It's over to Ofcom next to kind of thresh out the fine detail. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's a case now of you've got the go-ahead, make it work. And you've put together a nice uh, sort of idiot's guide for BBC Studios in this week's uh, this week's issue, sort of looking at all of the uh, the issues that, that were highlighted in the report. There's um, some interesting stuff about the uh, third-party commissions where, uh, you know, yeah. what the BBC Trust thinks that the B- um, BBC Studios might actually win. They're, they're, they're relatively cautious, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the third-party commissions were sort of almost the most surprising element of the bid at the beginning, you know, to want to do this and to want to start supplying other broadcasters. Um, there's always been questions about how that would work, who would be buying this content, will it dilute the kind of um, PSB content that Studios is producing at the moment, you know, and is well known for, renowned for. Um, and it seems like it's sort of, it's it's kind of a little bit lost in there at the moment. You know, it, it was a big, this was, again, this was Danny's idea in many ways. This is something that he was a big proponent of, was, you know, using the global market to bring some cash back into the BBC and now it looks like the third party commissions aren't going to be a major part of what studios are going to do their BBC is still going to be their main client um, and they're still going to be supplying predominantly PSB content so it looks like it's going to be smaller than perhaps we first expected and the trust is looking for Ofcom to kind of help define slightly more how that's going to work. Um, they said that it needed refinement, the plan around um, third party commissions. So that's an area to watch, really. I'm not sure how how that's going to pan out. It's it's certainly something they're going to have to do some work on. And there's still a few question marks and people like Pact and ITN. There's still some question marks as to how they, they do this going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's they, everyone's still got a few questions. And I think uh, it sounds... It's, it's sort of we've been saying it for for a couple of years now, but it is a little bit the proofs in the pudding. Um, they need to have all their systems set up and their guidelines from Ofcom um, on how exactly they're going to ensure fair trading between the BBC and studios. Um, and they need to kind of it'll become clear over time what the kind of shape of their business model is. You know, they haven't released an awful lot of commercially sensitive um, information, which I guess you would expect, but it means that exactly how much they're going to be producing for who, and you know how they're going to kind of um, work their different income streams is is going to be something that comes into focus over time. I think. And it's interesting they've already started moving moving staff around. Obviously, there's the restructure, but but physically moving some of the staff into to different offices. And 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 do you think when they, you know become truly independent in April that they will feel like they are an indie well that's what they really want to achieve I mean there are still the one show is still going to be at new broadcasting house that's going to sort of probably feel still like a little bit the old system the rest of uh, continuing drama um, in London has moved to Elstree and the other guys are over in White City and of course there's still the regional hubs which you know have continuing drama and factual in various 
places around the country. Mark Lindsay really wants to feel this company to feel like an indie. So I think he will be definitely driving for them to feel like a separate entity that has its own agenda and you know to kind of to make it more coherent I guess it kind of needs to feel something separate from the BBC I think unless they can psychologically make that detachment it's going to be quite hard for them to operate in a commercial market yeah absolutely uh, broadcast indie survey coming out uh, shortly uh, Robin Parker uh, putting that together at the moment so perhaps next year we might even see uh, BBC studios as uh, as an indie certainly yeah <laughs> um, and also uh, the tendering process is, is coming to a, to a head isn't it we we're starting to hear that uh, movements being made we're seeing expect a decision uh, either later this month or early next month for yeah. a question of sport and songs of praise? Yeah, the first tenders, there should be decisions fairly soon. There have been interviews going on this week, in fact, at the BBC. So, um, you know, a number of players have been in there pitching away. Um, it's We're not sure yet whether there's been second interviews or how, how far along they are on that decision process, but it certainly shouldn't be too long before we know how much is going out. It'll be interesting fact. to see if, uh, if third-party indies win that or if it does indeed go back to, to BBC Studios. Well, yeah, I mean, they've got every every right to put in the pitch and fight for it um, and they'll be they'll be wanting to hold on to as much as they possibly can so uh, it will be interesting to see which if we're, any go we're out. hearing about 15 companies in for those two uh, two projects aren't we we're, we're less clear on Holby yeah we're less clear on that at the moment and you would assume that there's not an enormous number of indies out there that can really pitch under the tight sort of guidelines that they've given for that you know you need to be able to take over the set in Elstree and run it pretty much identically, yeah. you know, um, with a sort of seamless transition. They're not going to sort of stop the show. Yeah, I think there's probably only a few that could really pitch effectively for that. It'll be interesting to see what BBC Studios' first wins are as well when they uh, become an indie, whether they're the sort of big, shiny, let it shines and strictly come dancings, or whether it's a sort of more modest factual programme. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tony Hall was hinting this week at a massive commission that's going to, you know, set the agenda for the type of uh, content that Studios is producing. So, Hopefully that will be something that does give us a bit of an insight into what they're aiming at and hopefully it'll have some ambition and we'll um, we'll sort of feel like they have set the kind of tone for April. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully Tony or, or indeed Mark might, uh, might reveal all soon. Joining us up next is James Fox, the co-managing director of Remarkable Television. Hello, James. Hi, how are you? Did you ever think you'd get to a thousand episodes of Pointless? In a word, no. I think when you look back at that first run, it did okay. It was playing on BBC Two in the afternoon in the in the old days when BBC Two had new quiz shows in the afternoon. And after that first episode, it did okay. And then it sort of slowly started building. If you talk to Liam Keelan, who was the controller of BBC Daytime at the time, he was going, well, you know, it's, got, it's getting there, getting there. And actually in its final week of that first run, it just sort of tipped over whatever the benchmark was for them. And I thought, oh, well, it's sort of found an audience, so let's do some more. How many episodes were ordered originally? It was 30 to start with. Uh, And then we came back and did a few more, and it got sort of more and more and more in our last run. Our order last year was 210 episodes, (laughs) which is sort of extraordinary. At what point did you and the BBC realise it was a a hit? I think it was probably a couple of series in, and then it made the transition to BBC One at 5.15 when The Weakest Link moved. And I think then it, it's funny with these, with these shows, particularly in daytime, that they kind of go under the radar and then something happens. There's a kind of critical mass where suddenly people start talking about them and talking about them in the wider world. And we suddenly realised, oh, actually, more people are watching this. And then we started doing some celebrity shows and then the celebrity shows got tried out on Saturday night. 
and got played, started being played before Strictly, and suddenly we went from what was a kind of tiny show with a bit of a cult following to a really big mainstream hit. And the show has stayed r- relatively similar. It's the same show that was on BBC Two in the daytime, largely. Um, the first series was a bit different. Was it? So there was another round, and it was just a bit more, there was more talk, it was all a bit more frenetic, and it meant that you couldn't really, Zandra and Richard couldn't really enjoy all the stuff that they do now, going off on those sort of flights of fancy about all mm-hmm. sorts of things. And we've changed games, we've changed the some of the questions, but we also changed the end game about 300 episodes ago <laughs> or so. And that's something that you, you know, you worry about when you've got a big established show and you're going to change something quite fundamental. But actually, we just did it from one day to the next. I think some loyal fans noticed, but actually it, it's made for a better end game and given the show a bit more life. So the show obviously has an interesting format point, but equally it's the relationship between the pair of them that, that drives it. Undoubtedly, it's Andrew and Rich and their, their bromance that I think is the, is the heart of the show. You know, they, they knew each other a bit beforehand. They've been at university together. But, you know, day in, day out, across a thousand episodes, they know each other really well and they know that they can talk about pretty much anything. It will come back to the game eventually and they can just have fun doing it. And so you, this thousands episode is on Monday and, and it, you, you're shaking up a little bit. Tell us about that. For as, a, as a one-time only, I think we can now safely say the boys are switching roles for the day. Richard hosts... Xander uh, is Richard, is the, is the uh, his assistant, and it was a sort of weird day for everyone, really. I think not least Xander and Richard, as Richard himself says in the show about after sort of halfway through round one, that I think both of them appreciated how difficult the other person's job is. You know, what you realise is Xander is so good explaining the game, talking to the contestants, getting to the board, the questions to Richard and backwards and forwards. There's an awful lot going on in that show, and he makes it look rather effortless. And for Rich, there's an awful lot of information that he's dealing with. But switch it round, it was a sort of slightly, slightly different sequence of events. <laughs> Good Hi. afternoon. Good afternoon to you. How uh, are you? I'm very well. I'm very Excellent. Well. How so, is this? A thousand shows, right? I know. I think we should have done something different for it, do you not? Would you shake it up a bit? Did shake it up a bit or something. I think it's a shame oh. just to do a regular... But, well, you know, the BBC and their wisdom, they know what they're doing. It's the show people like, isn't it? We don't you know what we're going to do with it. What are we going to do? Isn't but... it funny? I think when we first started this, I think my daughter was just about to start big school <gasps> and now she's just about to start university. <gasps> That's weird. How many kids did you have when we started this? Just seven. <laughs> <laughs> Important to say, you know, none of that is ever scripted. It's all they just sort of go for it each day. And, you know, we record four episodes a day if we're doing our daytime shows. Two episodes a day if we're doing celebrity shows. And really, what they have in front of them is the the contestants who are on that show and the questions. And other than that, off they go. What are the challenges of, you know, when a show is is that long running? Obviously, it's keeping it fresh. Our question team, who I think are the sort of the unsung heroes on Pointless, really. Uh, At the start of every series, we get the question team together, we get our development team together think how we can do things a bit differently, just think of different ways of asking questions. You never really want to change anything too fundamentally. But somehow, year on year, series on series, they always come back with just a little twist, just something new and different. I also think there's there's something about the format itself where if you know loads about the subject, you can give lots of answers, lots of obscure answers. If you don't really know anything about it, you can still probably give an answer. And so, actually, it means we can come back to areas again and again and just sort of mine them for slightly different bits of information and you can still have a go like the woman who uh, who said Henrik Larsson because her boyfriend told her it was his favorite footballer absolutely so that that was the one one from from this week where 
a contestant went away with two and a half grand because her boyfriend had just said, any football question, say Henrik Larsson. And what do you know? It's a pointless answer. <laughs> and the week before that, we had, I think it was probably one of my, one of my favourite ever answers, which was, name a country that ends with two consonants. And the contestant answered Paris. And as you might have seen, it kind of became this weird viral, it viral. It, this weird viral sensation of uh, what her friend's reaction was to that. It, like, don't mess with Mariam. You've had some clangers, yeah, that, that being, being one of the more, more recent ones. And there's been some funny answers, but I guess now in the days of social media, that can travel even if you don't necessarily watch the show. Well, I, I think that was a sort of unexpected thing for us over the last couple of weeks. So the Paris answer, you know, we were seeing clips from that being sent to us from America, Australia... And you, you know, you don't, you never really prepare for that, I suppose. Even the um, Henrik Larsson one, I saw just, you know, a day after transmission, I think had already had 750,000 views via the BBC's Match of the Day Facebook page. So it's sort of interesting for us seeing how people come and consume the show in slightly different ways, actually. And you've got a loyal audience and uh, reports have it that the Queen is a fan. Have you ever managed to corroborate that? Uh, no, but Zander seems to have done, so I think that probably says more about the circles he moves in than I do. He's got more blue blood than, uh, than most, I yeah. imagine. Um, yeah, well, look, if you can get, get royalty <laughs> watching, it might stay on air. Uh, might, the BBC might never uh, want to cancel it. Let's hope so. And do Richard and Zander um, still enjoy it? Can you see them lasting another thousand episodes? Yeah, I think this last batch we've done, they've just been having so much fun. Four shows a day is a, is a, is a lot. But if we're giving them the, the right tools to work with, casting and questions, then they just have the most fun. Have you ever had to have a plan B in case they don't want to continue? Have you ever sort of thought that? We haven't, to be honest. They, they're absolutely loving it. And so long may it continue. And where does it sit in the entertainment landscape? You know, what's your thoughts generally on, on the game show market at the moment? Well, I think it's been a tough couple of years, but equally pointless on Saturday night was doing, you know, over five million, picking up over six million. It feels to me like there's a there's a feeling that kind of broader entertainment game shows, Saturday proper shiny floor Saturday night telly, feel like I hope we'll see a bit more of. Over you think the, next the broadcasters year or so? are calling out for for new ideas in that space? I think so. They say they are. Um, it feels like all the channels are very much open for business. I think there's probably a couple of things at play. The channels themselves have been saying it's a sort of slightly miserable world in some ways at the moment. So, you know, in, in tough times, when you look back historically, entertainment shows have done well. And actually some of the biggest entertainment shows have come round about those sorts of times. And on top of that, it feels like there's also the kind of financial realities that we we deliver shows for value. And in a world where there's lots of drama and there's lots of very high tariff programming that what we can do is offer a slightly cheaper alternative. Yeah, we're all talking about peak drama at the moment, yeah. but but you know there is still this global need for for entertainment formats. You know, a few years ago there was Millionaire and Deal yeah. or No Deal, um, and you know hopefully you think pe- pointless in this place. And and but globally, broadcasters are looking for for these shows as well. You must notice that. Uh, absolutely, you know I think sort of slightly more recently than those shows, Million Pound Drop from us at Remarkable was a show that started as a you know a five night six night strip on Channel Four. And within two years was in 55 territories. And so for us, as Remarkable, as part of Endemol Shine, that is the holy grail. And that's what we spend an awful lot of our time doing. Are there any interesting international versions of Pointless? Anyone doing anything that's slightly differently to you? Um, it's more just seeing what, the, what their versions of Zandra and Richard are. We had a, a small gathering for our thousandth episode. And one of the things we did was cut together a tape. And we featured some of the more unusual 
pairings. Weirdly, Pointless has been quite successful showing the Baltics. Okay. I don't know what that says. Um, and you mentioned Endemol Shine, and, and one of your other uh, recent formats, The Big Spell, which yeah. just launched on Sky, um, comes out of Australia, right? Could you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Talk about the, the sort of global search for, for shows within the group. That's the best thing about working at Endemol Shine, is that there are brilliant producers working in markets all over the world. So Mark and Carl Fennessy in Australia, who are the, the guys behind the, the sort of reformatting and recreation of MasterChef, and the versions of that that has now travelled, again, you know, to territories all around the world, they took that um, their, their vision and put it into the world of, of a kid's spelling bee. So for us, we were at our Endemol Shine sort of pre, pre-meet down at MIP uh, a year ago, about 18 months ago now. Uh, they showed one of the most brilliant teasers, uh, sort of two-minute teaser, and myself and Don Moore, who's our creative director at remarkable we looked at each other and went that's great isn't it and we went and pitched it to sky and very quickly they went yes we'll have that please so so yeah i think it shows two things one is the power of tape as ever if it's been on elsewhere it just makes it easier for for everyone us as producers but also um commissioning teams at channels but also i suppose it's what we loved about that show is that fundamentally it's a game show but the story is just told in a slightly different way. So you get to meet the kids. It's a returning cast. So it has more of a kind of reality competition angle to it rather than uh, a sort of self-contained quiz. Any other shiny gems out there in, in Australia or other parts of the world? There, there's always lots of stuff. There's a couple of things I think that are coming and will be coming to market soon. Mark and Carl have got a great show down in Australia um, and a couple of other things coming. But... Watch this space. Do you, I'd say. Do, do you regularly keep in touch with with the likes of Mark and Carl and, and producers within the group that looking for these things, or is it sort of accidental? It sounds like that was, you know, almost just. No, we like... we meet certainly twice a year, and our kind of key teams, particularly working in in the entertainment field, come together up to four times a year, meeting in in various places, getting a gathering together as as big as we can really, and we all bring two or three of our favourite ideas. And I think that's the thing for us now is thinking about when you're creating a show, you're not just thinking about it for the UK market, you're thinking about it for the global market. And indeed, it may be that it launches elsewhere in the world before it launches here. So so for us at Remarkable, firstly, it's exciting. But secondly, it also makes us think in a big, broad, um, international way. Because when you look at the shows that have travelled, they all have something very simple at their heart. So it's trying to find that core idea. Yeah. What else is coming up at Remarkable at the moment? What else are you working on? So on the entertainment side, uh, we've got a quiz pilot that we're working on. We've got a big entertainment show that we're developing with our colleagues in the States and also in Germany, which is exciting. And then on the factual side, with Kitty Walsh, who runs Remarkable with me, they've got a new show coming on Channel 4 called My Beauty Secrets and Animal Park, which is coming back on BBC Daytime as well. So, so, so for us at Remarkable, it's also just making sure we've got a really nice, rich, broad slate going on. Keeping that mix between both, is that important? It's really important because, you know, t- it shifts. And, you know, there'll, there'll be times when there are many more factual opportunities, other times when there are more entertainment opportunities. And so it's about having a really rich mix. How competitive are you between, uh, between the genres? You, you know, for us, actually, it's about trying to crack the format that does both. And so that's when our teams come together and that's when we have most fun, which is... You know, a show that has real, rich, factual heart to it, but that also has the kind of ridiculous format devices that we might be able to bring to the party. Well, the thousandth episode of Pointless airs on Monday the 16th. 
And that's your lot for this episode. I'm Peter White, and the producer is Chica Ayres, and the exec producer is Matt Hill from Rethink Audio. Thanks to James and Hannah, and we'll see you on the other side. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 